Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. Sarah has the week off. Now that Halloween is over, that means the holidays are basically upon us and you're probably starting to look for the perfect gift uh, for that loved one in your life. And I came across a really uh, incredible set of images and a book that are being released by Lori Grinker. She's a photographer, director, and professor, educator at the Arthur L. Clark Journalism Institute at NYU. She posted on Facebook about a new book published by Brooklyn's Powerhouse Books entitled Mike Tyson, 1981-1991, to and a corresponding portfolio print sale on the website First Dibs, which is a curated marketplace for, quote, extraordinary design. Now, back in the early 80s, when Lori was a student at the Parsons School of Design, she had to do a documentary assignment, and she decided to do a project on boxers living and training with the legendary Cus D'Amato. Lori was focused on another boxer up in the Catskills where Cus lived when he told her that she ought to be looking at a then 13-year-old Mike Tyson saying that this kid was going to be world champ one day. So Lori took Cus's uh, advice and started photographing this young Mike Tyson. And she has almost a singularly unique set of photos from Tyson's adolescence into the start of his pro boxing career up until his first loss in 1991 to Buster Douglas, which was a, a big shock uh, to everyone in the, in the boxing industry at the time. A lot of these images uh, are shot on Tri-X. You can see that lovely, lovely grain structure and that super pleasing roll off into the highlights. There's some really, really fantastic photos. So the Clamp Art Gallery is selling five of 10 portfolio sets through first dibs, each of which includes 10 signed prints. And get this, each print is signed by Lori and Mike Tyson. There's a mix of color in black and white images, and the prints are 22 inches by 17 inches. So they're, they're fairly large prints. Now, <laughs> the price for this portfolio set of 10 images, signed portfolio set limited edition, $18,500. So not quite the thing that you're going to pick up for chump change, but a lovely set of images. I should point out that if you can't afford the portfolio set for $18,500, the book comes out on December 14th for $45. Much more reasonable. Has some written anecdotes in there. Lori has shared some uh, on her website as well. Looks like a fantastic book, 45 bucks. So maybe that's the one you'll check out. It's a nice stocking stuffer or primary gift for the holidays. On the homepage of the New York Times and on, I believe, the printed edition of the New York Times, uh, last week, a piece called Please Don't Feed the Whale Sharks, Fishing Town Says It Must to Prosper. It's a piece uh, that they put under the, quote, Philippines Dispatch, and the photographer, and in this case, the writer, Hannah Reyes-Morales, took some incredible photos of whale sharks. If you haven't seen whale sharks before, they're these incredibly large animals that actually eat krill. So they don't, you know, they're not biting into people. They have these enormous mouths. You can swim with them in a number of locations. The Philippines uh, is a primary spot. The cover image is just stunning. The, the palette of colors... She's using some kind of domed 
uh, camera housing that allows for that split underwater, above water image. And the sky is not like a, a pure blue sky. It's got this very diaphanous cloud structure. And of course, you see in the bottom half of the frame this huge whale shark uh, feeding. Her images have just an incredible amount of mood. And I don't know how to describe it other than, you know, you really got to see the the images. You definitely definitely need to take a look. We'll have this link and everything else that we talk about on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. I've seen other work from David Dubelay, who a lot of you know, on the whale sharks in Cebu. Uh, and those have a completely different feel. David's images that I've seen have this really pristine crispness, perhaps in part because of the sunny blue skies in the images that I saw. And what what looked to be, at least, you know, near the surface, crystal clear waters. And what you have to understand is, you know, when when you're trying to find whale sharks who are feeding, they are looking for krill-filled water. So usually the water is really murky when the whale sharks are there to feed. I actually went to another area called Donsol about five years ago to go whale shark diving. And the water, again, was very, very murky because of the plankton. It was an amazing sight to be snorkeling and kind of paddling around. And then all of a sudden you see this huge beast, which you know poses no threat to you as a human, come under you. And then you try to swim as fast as you can to keep up with them. Uh, It was an amazing experience. And Hannah's images really capture, I think, not only the whale sharks, but the fishermen and the communities surrounding that area. Fantastic set of images. Hannah is a Manila-based photojournalist. She was a 2020 uh, ICP Infinity Award recipient, 2019 Tim Hetherington Award recipient. She was a 2019 uh, Jupe Swart Masterclass participant, which is run by uh, World Photo, World Press Photo, 2018's PDN30. So highly decorated, doing fantastic work, a member of Women Photograph, uh, you really got to check out these images. I saw so many incredible uh, tweets calling her out for this incredible work. And so I checked out her website as well. And she had a really great piece a couple of years ago in National Geographic called Redefining Beauty, where she traveled all around the world photographing women um, and trying to document these these symbols of beauty and what women consider to be beautiful around the world and the lengths that they go through to appear, quote, beautiful. Um, Really, really fantastic work. So congratulations to Hannah on that work. Lest you think that all we do is talk about the New York Times, (laughs) I am going to bring up another set of New York Times images. But I should point out, in my own defense, the New York Times is one of those publications that spends an awful lot of money on photography really, really high quality photography on a regular basis. And you can complain about their assignment rate slash day rate, um, which fortunately has increased over the past couple of years. So I think what what is now $600. Um, but they are commissioning some really, really fantastic photography. They started at the beginning of COVID, a series called The World Through a Lens, which features stories and photos by photographers all around the world. And the reason why they did it was because nobody could travel at the time, so they wanted to get photographers who had some sort of collection of photography and anecdotes from around the world as sort of a a surrogate for being able to travel. 
We're still in the midst of a pandemic and they still have, I guess, a list of great photographers and great photography. This time, it's the German photographer, Moscow-based Frank Herfurt. Herfurt specializes in documentary and architectural photography, and he's been doing commercial and editorial work for a who's who of organizations and publications and media entities for a long time. For this particular series, Herford visited over 770 metro stations in 19 cities around Russia between 2014 and 2020. Now, what can I tell you? As someone who's ridden a lot of public transport around the world, of course, New York being my home base, I can tell you that the variety of designs in Russia is really, really stunning. Combine that with Herford's photographic sensibilities... And the fact that he often shot in in the middle of the night, he says in this piece, you know, he was there between 11 p.m. and before, you know, 5 a.m. To minimize the number of people that are in the frame. So, you the, you know, the architecture is really the, the focal point of these images. And you'll occasionally get, uh, you know, a few people in the very, very background um, as sort of elements that that help you understand the the scale of of these of these places, all of those things combined make these images really successful in in my opinion. Now the ceiling in many of these stations have these incredibly unique designs, and Herford seems to mount the camera. I assume he's using a tripod because the light's not great and he needs, you know, longer exposures without camera shake. Seems like he's mounting them fairly high and he's angling it up to capture a lot of the ceiling. So it was an interesting experience scrolling down this piece and seeing these really spectacular ceilings appear as you scroll down and then revealing the rest of the the train platform. And then he does whatever magic architectural photographers use to straighten out the line. So there's no, uh, you know, keystoning. It doesn't look like the, the interiors are falling backwards or falling forwards or anything like that. The effect to me felt very, very Wes Anderson-like, both in terms of the symmetry and the color palette, because there's often these very, very vibrant colors um, and then the old, I, I guess, uh, sodium lights. Maybe they're still using those really orange sodium lights in some of the locations. But you get that Wes Anderson symmetry in color, but there's this weird retro Russian vibe to a lot of the design. They're very, very compelling images. He's got a larger edit on his website uh, that's definitely worth checking out. He has some other great exterior shots doing a lot of work in Russia and the former Soviet republics. That I, you know, previously when I was younger, I thought, wow, this architecture is really wacky and not really pleasing to the eye. And now I guess now that I'm a little bit older and tired of all these glass buildings that we have in New York City, I kind of like the wackiness of it. There's a really capricious feel to it. Maybe not the most practical architecture, but you also do see some older architecture that has these very sinewy designs. And when you look at contemporary uh architecture now done by some of the quote star architects, you, you see these really organic shapes emerging. And I kind of look at this Russian architecture now and I'm like, huh, okay, maybe they're on to something, you know, in the fifties and the sixties and into the nineties after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Some great stuff. We'll have that link again on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. 
we tend not to talk about gear on the show, in part because Sarah hates talking about gear and because there's so many other sources uh, for gear talk and people who professionally do reviews. I, I, I do want to talk just for a moment about the new Nikon Z9 that was announced last week because I was so close to considering switching systems after 20 years on Nikon digital cameras. And then the Z9 came out with great anticipation. This, this camera was announced. It looks fantastic. The specs on it look incredible. The price for, for the feature set and the professional body, uh, it was unexpectedly, uh, af- quote, affordable at $5,500. Uh, I, I wasn't going to get it, but I realized that the entire world is suffering from supply chain issues right now. And there has been some speculation that even if you place an order for the camera, depending on where you are in line, you might not see that camera for 12 months. The camera's supposed to be released on December 15th. Who knows how many thousands of people got in line before I put my order in. I still can obviously cancel it. There's no guarantee that I will even get it in December or January, February, March, etc. And if I don't want it, I can always resell it probably very, very easily, or I can obviously cancel my order. But but having that supply chain issue come into focus because it seems to be affecting almost everything, uh, from electronics to even Halloween costumes, uh, it, it did make my calculus change in my own head about whether I should be ordering this camera. Now, do you really need another camera to do what you need to do? Obviously, people have been getting by with generations of cameras before the Z9 that were perfectly adequate. And I have a perfectly good Z7 that that takes good photos. Uh, I have been frustrated by the autofocus system on that camera. Uh, my old D850 is a much better autofocus system. I know people uh, who shoot with the D6 uh, that love that camera. I have friends who shoot with the Sony cameras and the Canon cameras. You know, Sarah recently got a, uh, a Canon, I think it was an R3 and just has been gushing about the eye autofocus on that system. I miss so many, what I consider in my own head, to be great photos because I can't nail focus so often. So anything that aids me with focus as my eyes get older and older and I have trouble seeing uh, through the viewfinder, I'm all for. So maybe this will marginally improve my photographic skills. Uh, We'll see. In the meantime, I put the order in because supply chain... We'll see what happens. And if I get it, I will uh, certainly update you on how much better my photography has gotten after spending $5,500. Lastly, on this very short episode of Vision Slightly Blurred, the Twitter account at Facebook's Top 10 regularly tweets the names of the authors of the top performing posts on Facebook. They don't tell you what the pieces are, what the articles are. They just tell you who the authors are, what, you know, the page that it's originating from. On October 26th, slots two through 10 were occupied by the conservative commentators, Dan Bongino and Ben Shapiro, who regularly are on the top 10 list. But on this particular day, October 26th, the number one spot was by Petapixel. Now, in the world of photography... We all know that Petapixel is pretty popular, but let's be honest, it's not a daily destination for the masses that anywhere competes with the likes of Bongino and Shapiro. So I think I was definitely surprised to see 
Petapixel in the number one slot. So I wandered over to the Petapixel Facebook page and started scrolling through the posts to try to find what piece on Petapixel was so compelling that it was the most shared and most interacted uh, piece of content on that day. And I came across one that seemed like it was the obvious choice. And the name of the article is Photographer Captures Baby Barn Owl Mid-Run. Let me describe this photo to you. It's a photo by the Dutch photographer Hanny Heer. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. H-E-E-R-E. And it is a baby barn owl that just looks like a white fluff ball. It looks like a it looks like a a chicken that you tarred and feathered and that's running through the grass. I mean, it, it looks fake because it it has very humanistic characters in the way that it's you know, on two legs rather than, you know, crawling on the ground or flying like a normal bird or owl would. Um, but it's incredibly cute. You know, it looks like a stuffed animal uh, or maybe some sort of animation. Uh, the photographer is 63 years old. She's a, she's an amateur photographer. She took her first photography class a few years ago. And I thought it was a lovely image and I can see why it was shared. And then I made the critical mistake of looking down in the comment section, which as you know, can be a toxic stew. Um, but on the Petapixel site, some of the commentary was around, well, she took this at a known owl breeding farm and they, you know, it's a staged photo because there was food on one side of the of the field and the, the owl had to run towards it and blah, blah, blah. You know, as someone who is concerned about the ethics of wildlife photography and is against chumming and baiting and all these other deceptive practices that can domesticate these wild animals. I can understand that point of view. On the other hand, it kind of sort of ruined just trying to enjoy this, what I thought was a, a cute photo and somewhat unusual behavior. I, I just haven't seen, I guess, that many baby owls and certainly many baby, baby owls that are sort of training to get their wings flapping. Um, so I thought it was a fun photo, but ugh. Avoid those comment sections from now on. So congratulations to Petapixel for knocking off the usual uh, suspects from the top 10 list on October 26th. It's actually a fun fun Twitter account to, to follow if you get the chance. Facebook's top 10 on Twitter. Next week, Sarah Jacobs will be back with us. We'll have a longer show, including her lovely points of view. Since you're here, why don't you smash that subscribe button, leave us a comment or a rating really helps us expand our audience. You can always tweet at us at Photoshelter. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Photoshelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.